praise God for air conditioning. <laughs> so refreshing. Years ago, when we were pioneering the church at uh, launching the church at Eastgate, it had to be one of the hottest summers on planet Earth. And we had purchased a home that had no air conditioning. And it was, we were having our Wednesday Bible studies in our living room with fans blowing and everything. And, and it was so humid that we studied the Bible, but we'd peel the pages of the Bible off of our arms if we sat on it very long. And uh, we, uh, it, was, it was very, very hot. And I had just uh, gotten back from the repair place. My transmission went out on my car. And uh, we're sitting there getting ready to start Bible study in the living room. And I said, well, this is the last time I've said this, by the way. What else could go wrong? And as if on a timer, a big box fan that was blowing on all of us, a puff of smoke, a shh, shh. And we just all started laughing. I, Dwight said, I, I think I've got an extra fan at home. <laughs> it was quite a hoot. Well, I'm glad for air conditioning. I'm glad for warmer weather, though. Aren't you? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, we're going to launch into our study of the Philippians. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon our study tonight. We pray your hand to be upon us. And then, Father God, that you would... Teach us something about the kingdom of God, about your great love and your plan for us as we study this letter to the Philippian believers. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Good evening. All right. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. And beginning with verse number one. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, you all with joy. For your, I think he's from the south, y'all, you all. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it's right for me to think this of you all, y'all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, y'all, are partakers with me of grace. For God <coughs> is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. In this I pray, that your love may abound more, still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness 
which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. <coughs> praise God. We're looking at this particular book. It's one of my, I know all of them are my favorites, but this is one of my particular favorites. And we're going to start at the beginning. That's always a good place. Amen? It's always good to start at the beginning. And the beginning is not here. Uh, this is a highly developed group of believers. Uh, how do we know that by the time this letter is written to them? Just from what Paul says to them, how do we know that they're not just a fledgling, just new upstart church, but they've got some good things going on? How do we know that from these first verses? Yeah. They have leadership already in place. They have leadership in place, deacons and, and others that are there. How He calls them saints. Amen. What uh, what else do we know just from those first initial parts of the book? Yeah. There's there's time element. You can tell that he has been you know praying for them for a while and things like that. So you can tell like a pattern has developed. Yeah. It's it's uh it's not his first rodeo. He's he's not just meeting them for the first time. And we're going to study tonight when he first met the believers at Philippi, and how this all started, and we want to begin at the beginning. Any other ways that, uh, just from those initial 10 or 11 verses, you can tell that this is a mature and strong church? Any other ways? Well, he, he indicates that like they were partners with him. Yeah, they're partners with with him. Oh my goodness, we have guests. Come right on in, fellas. Well, good evening. We are having a class for service. So, what better way to come down here at the board's service snack? All right. How about a round of applause for yeah. all around us? Thank you, boys. Thank you. 
turn to the, the birth story of the church at Philippi. We see that this is a well-developed church. It has deacons, leadership. It has bishops. It has uh, a track record that Paul brags about them. You know, and Paul's not easily impressed, in, in case you haven't noticed. That's true. Uh, Paul is not easily impressed. Uh, you look at the, read the letter to the Corinthians. Uh, he's, he's not easily impressed. Or the Galatians, he's not easily impressed. But he likes these guys. Because he says, I brag on you and I pray for you every day. So we're going to look at the birth of the church at Philippi. And if I can have you turn, could I get somebody to read for us Acts chapter 16, <coughs> verses 6 through 10. Who will read that one for us? Okay, Quentin's got it. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay. So how does this trip to Philippi start? Was it just a, a decision Paul made? Well, that'd be a good place to go. It's a big city. We'll, we'll take it there. Uh, why did they go there? A vision. A vision. A night vision to Paul. And what did he see in this vision? A man of Macedonia. Uh, how do you know that? Well, I don't think there were headings over top of it. This man's from Macedonia. But they obviously had a uh, dialect or a uh, address uh, apparel that would let them know. Can you spot people by their accent uh, from where they might be from? Sometimes. Sometimes. Y'all. Y'all. Yuns. Yuns. Husses. Help me if you can. Help me. Help me. That's, that's, that's south of the border of Ohio. That's, that's uh, West Virginians. Uh, Parkersburg, particularly. Uh, my grandmother had uh, uh, me, and uh, uh, you know what this this is right here? Cane. No, you know what this is? Skin. No, it's flourish. Flourish? Flourish. 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 Not your flesh, your flourish. <laughs> you know, sometimes we had to have interpreters at our, at our family gatherings from the West Virginia speak. But uh, he was able to discern it was a man from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia uh, said what? He said help. Come over and help us. Help us. Come over and help us. Now it's been much bantered about. We do not know for sure if Paul ever recognized the person from his dream or not. But there are all kinds of theories, and we'll talk about that as we get to Philippi a little, a little later on. 
it began as a vision and a call. The leading of the Holy Spirit through this vision. How many of you have dreams? Have you dreamed things? How many of you are worth a hoot? Your dreams are just kind of messed up. I have messed up dreams. I have, I have wacko, weird dreams, strange things. And uh, uh, those aren't the kind that God leads you with. But there are times that the Lord impresses a supernatural vision or dream upon a person that gives you insight and direction uh, that's a call of God. We shouldn't be led around by our earthly kind of dreams. But this was a call in a dream, come over and help us to Macedonia. Now what had happened just before this, the scripture that, that Quentin read, they wanted to go to Asia, and what happened? The Holy Spirit says no. Now, did the Holy Spirit have something against uh, Asia? No. Just that God's timing is perfect. And He knows where He wants people at certain times. And uh, he wanted to, they wanted to go other places. And the Spirit did not, to Bithynia, to Mycenae. Uh, but the Spirit did not permit them. How does that work? Uh, what gift of the Spirit would you call that? Okay, discerning the spirits and probably a couple others involved in it. Word of knowledge and word of wisdom. <clears throat> so it's a, it's, a, it's a cluster of gifts many times. It's discerning what the spirit, what spirit it's coming from. It's not you having a, a pepperoni pizza before you went to bed and having a dream. And discerning that it's from God, but also understanding and wisdom they perceived by this, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were to go to Macedonia, that this was a sovereign call through that vision. Why is it important that they did, just didn't decide to go there? I think it's extremely important. They tried to go a couple other places. God said no. Yeah. God needed them somewhere else. God had a specific plan. God knew what was going on in <coughs> Philippi. And nobody else did. There's some things going on there that are just amazing. How God builds a church in Philippi. <clears throat> it was not a business decision. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a God thing. Uh, there was a fellow that was a pastor here in the state years and years ago. Uh, Brother John Palmer Sr., and he was a real slight, I don't know if any of you ever met Brother John Sr. Uh, John Palmer, uh, Jim Palmer was assistant superintendent for a while. But his daddy, his daddy was a legend in the state of Ohio. He never pastored a church of over 100. Never. But the Lord called him to go to southern Ohio and river communities in southern Ohio and plant churches. He planted close to 10. 
Now, are all, any of those churches mega churches? No. But he went where God called him, and he established a church, and people were saved there, healed there, filled with the Spirit there, and the churches are still there. None of them large. But size is not what it's about. It's about touching lives in a community. And uh, things have happened over the years where people have developed kind of a, a business model for churches. Why is that not a great idea? Uh, you, uh, you, you get my prejudice. Uh, it's not a great idea. Why? 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 Because the more you bigger you get, the less you can help the people that's in your church. And if it's a business, you're just doing it for you're not doing what God's called you to do. Yeah, it's it's all about profit margins. It's all about, it's all about viabilities. Numbers, uh, the numbers that you get. In the numbers church. that you get. Uh, uh, looks good on the books. <clears throat> I'm not against large churches. I've pastored large churches. But uh, the, the size of the church is, you know, you can do more if you want to do, do more. I had a problem, but, one of the church, yeah. But when you treat, when the church be treating everybody the same because it's, it's a formula, a formula to build it, and a formula to deal with everybody? Yeah, they, 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 they try to make it, uh, well, the survey says that you ought to do this, and you, and, uh, the survey says you ought to do this. And it's kind of a cookie cutter, one size fits all. But have you noticed that people are different wherever you go? And they have different needs and different uh, uh, callings and different ministries. And But this has been a pattern that some have suggested. We've got to do it all the same. And... Uh, got to meet these parameters. But God's plan for church planning is not a business model. It makes no sense for Paul to travel all the way across the Mediterranean to go to a town that there's not a single Christian in. They don't even have a Jewish synagogue. They're too small. They're, the Jewish population is too small. And plant a church there. When he could have gone to those other places he wanted to, and there were already believers there. But the Lord said, no. It's better to have God's plan than a business plan. Now, yes, we need to do things in, a, in an orderly fashion. We need to... Uh, take good care of the finances. We need to do all of those things. But if a business plan is our target, we may miss what God wants to do. Simple as that. Uh, we're, we're having difficulty and challenges with this uh, seek and save rally that we'll have here at the church because some forces from the headquarters say, well, this is what we want you to do. Well, some of the things they want us to do won't work here in our community. Have you noticed the west side of Columbus is a little bit different? A little different. A little, little different. Uh, it's a little bit different than, than uh, uh, the north part of Columbus or even the south part of Columbus. And so we're trying to get them to understand that 
What you're thinking, let me give you an example. Uh, they want to distribute food like, like we do every month. But they want to do it in this way. They're going to bring bags of food in and we're to pass it out only after they have sat through an hour service. In the heat of July. While there are inflatables out that their kids can't ride. Not a smart move. Not a smart move. But so business plans, yeah, I guess you gotta have them. But we need to be led by the Spirit. That's how Paul, it starts not as a as a business plan, or I think we ought to start a church here. Anytime there's a there was a strategy at one point, anytime there's a, a city of over fifty thousand, we need to have an assembly of God church there. Well, fine, if that's God's plan. But how about if we have a good church of God there? How many think that might be okay too? You know? Yeah. I, th I think that might be all right too. And uh, so we need to get away from a restrictive mindset. I love the assemblies of God, but the, we're not the only game in town, folks. <laughs> and God is moving in a lot of places and through a lot of people. So it was not a business decision to go to Philippi. It was a, a God decision. What do we know from what you just read? Uh, let's look at verse 11 through uh, 11 and 12. Who would read 11 and 12 for us? Uh, Acts 16. Okay, Marcia's got it. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Okay. What do we know about Philippi? Just from that. The biggest city. It's a major, foremost city. It's the it's the largest city at that time in that region of Macedonia of the of the we had the Macedonian kingdom under Alexander the Great, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and it was the foremost city in that region. So it was a fairly large city, and what else does it say about it? A Roman colony? It was a Roman colony. Now that tells us a lot about Philippi. They were under Roman law. Pax Romana, the Roman peace, every colony was under a mandate to operate in the same way as far as dealing with, with people. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had way up here rights and privileges. If you were just a, a Greek who lived in the city, not so much. It was a Roman colony. It was under Roman rule. And Rome was the law of the day, wherever you went. And that, that comes into play later on in the story of how the church was started. Now, Roman colony also 
is under Roman jurisdiction as far as the laws and how they're enacted. How you put people in prison, how you put people in jail, how you go about the governance of the town and village, and it all comes into play. Uh, verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. What does that tell us about Philippi? What wasn't there? There wasn't a synagogue. No Jewish synagogue. Anybody remember what you have to have to have a Jewish synagogue? Ten devout Jews who meet together and form what is called a minion and they meet together to read the scriptures and to pray. And they meet every day for that. There was not, by this, there was no synagogue in the town. Where were they meeting? Down by the riverside. And how many Jewish men were there with them meeting down by the riverside? There's no record of any. No record of any. It was on the Sabbath day when every good Jew would go to synagogue or to Minyan, and the men would go, especially because that was the prerequisite for having a synagogue, ten men. But there's no reference. On the Sabbath day, there was, a, there was no synagogue in town. No place for Paul to go. Isn't that where Paul always went and ministered when he went into a town? Now, it wouldn't be good business sense to go into a town because every place he'd gone before to start a church he went to the synagogue and he reasoned with them through the scriptures read the Torah scrolls that were there housed at the synagogue and read the law and the prophets and then preached to them about Jesus Christ out of the Old Testament references none of that was available in Philippi no scrolls, no Torah, no prophets, nothing. No gathering of men, no synagogue. Didn't make any good business sense to go that way. Paul was used to going into a city, going to synagogue, and developing a following, and sometimes he'd stay up to a year ministering in that, in that place and then move on to the next town. So it was not a it was a major city, small Jewish presence, no synagogue, it would seem. Now archaeologists have found that now, years later, after later on, there was a sizable Jewish community there, but not when Paul got there. They went down for prayer on the Sabbath with the women. I've heard it taught, I've heard it taught by several different people that, uh, well, he went down to the riverside because that's where the ladies were doing their laundry, doing their clothes, and uh, had a prayer meeting and preached the gospel to them. Uh, my Bible scholars here, what would you say to that? Is that really a possibility? No. Why not? Men didn't 
interact like that with the ladies? A, the men did not interact that way, and B, it was the Sabbath day. Yeah. They wouldn't have been doing their clothes. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, so it was not laundry day. They met for the purpose of prayer down there. And uh, he preached to them. Look at verse 13 and following. Now on the Sabbath day, we, wait a minute, who's the we here? Luke. Anytime we read in the book of Acts, we did this or we did that, Luke is the author of the book, and Luke includes himself as we. The we passages in, in the book of Acts tell us when Luke was present and when he wasn't. And here we find that we know at least that Paul was there and Luke was with him and Silas was one who was along with him. And on the Sabbath day, we, verse 13, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women, women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So what do we know about this lady named Lydia? She had a servant's heart, didn't she? What else do we know about her? She was a businesswoman. Yeah, she believed in Jesus. Yeah, she was a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple. Now, the purple dyes that were made in uh, Thyatira were legendary in that day. Uh, royals loved the royal purples. And it was a very crisp, clear dye. And she basically started up a franchise in Philippi. It was a Roman city, if you recall. Women had certain rights in Rome. And uh, they, weren't, they were allowed to have own businesses. And she did. And she was a successful business person. How do we know that she was kind of a successful business person? Purple. Well, the purple, yeah. She was, she was making money off of a very uh, special process of dying. Yeah. They stayed with her. Yeah. She had a house big enough to accommodate Paul, Silas, and, and Luke. And she had a household. She had either servants or people who cared for uh, the house, the grounds, the business. And uh, so she, she, she was well-to-do, able to invite people into their house. Because that, that's, how many of you have ever invited somebody into your house and you realize it's not the easiest thing on the planet to do. Amen? Amen. You know, it, it, it takes some extra work. And so she's inviting people that she's just 
men. Well, what else does that tell you about her? Trust. She's organized. She, she, uh, she trusts. There's an organization there. She's a businesswoman, but, but the Lord softened her heart, or it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. <clears throat> and how do we learn in the next verse how she responded when Paul preached and her heart was open to what Paul was sharing about Jesus Christ. What else happened? She and her whole household. We don't know how large that was. But all of them were the first converts to Christianity in the city of Philippi. Yeah. It speaks to how sensitive she was to the move of God on her heart to listen to what Paul was saying in order to act upon it. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I tend to have a little skepticism. When I get people call me on the phone and they have, you know, the Lord's just got a new revelation to give them, I'm, I'm just, I take a little skepticism, step back. But the Lord opened her heart to the truth of the gospel from Paul. She was a worshiper. She worshiped God. But she didn't know about Jesus yet. You remember the people in uh, later on that we find out about in Ephesus? They were fellows who were followers of John the Baptist. And they said, we've not even heard about uh, the Holy Spirit. He told them about Jesus and about, you remember when Jesus said, when, when John the Baptist said, one coming after me is mightier than I, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire? He says, let me tell you his name. His name is Jesus. And they all received Jesus as their Savior and were baptized in Christ, uh, in a relationship to Christ, uh, but they had not had that relationship before. So here is a woman it says that this happened on the Sabbath day. It doesn't say it was an extended series of messages. Paul and Silas and, and Luke go down to the riverfront and start talking to the women there about Jesus. They talk to who that was there. And the Holy Spirit moved upon Lydia and she heard them and the Holy Spirit bore witness that this was true. And she opened her heart. And folks, when you open your heart to Jesus Christ, He will come in. And she responded, and not only that, she had her whole household, her staff, we don't know if it's family and, and servants or whatever, or workers, we don't know, but it's called the household. In the same way we have the, <clears throat> in the book of Acts, we have Cornelius and his household responding to the message of Jesus Christ that Peter preached. So it was those who were close to, to Lydia, they all heard the same thing and they responded. She wasn't down there doing laundry either. She had gathered for prayer. She worshiped God. And now the Holy Spirit moved upon Paul to go to the women, not to 
say, well, we don't have a synagogue. I don't know what I'm going to do. He shared about Jesus, and Lydia responded, gave her heart to Jesus Christ, and then they went right down by the riverside and baptized him in water that very same day. Wow. I don't know about you, but I, you know, that had to be a God thing. These are, these are three strangers from out of town. And you can tell by the way they talk, they're not from around there. You know? And the Holy Spirit moved. And she, she received Jesus Christ and was baptized in water in her whole household. And it brought such a change upon her that she begged us. That's what Luke says. She begged us. If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. These are the first converts in the church at Philippi. He said, well, you don't have any leading men. You don't have any, uh, you know, powerful people or anything. And just a bunch of the, the women out by the having a prayer meeting. They don't even have a synagogue or anything. Despise not humble beginnings, the Bible teaches us. It can start small and, and grow. And from that small beginning... It's estimated probably 10 years later the letters of the Philippian church is written and they have deacons and elders and bishops and they have a powerful witness that they're servants of the Most High God but they started small. <coughs> they started small. What does that tell us? What does that, how does, what does that speak to you? As I was studying this afresh again it just it just flew all over me. I, I was just shouting happy in my office about the small beginning, the humble beginnings. What, is, what does that say to you? I say if you're happy with the little things, God will give you the big things. Yeah, the little things. You, you've been faithful in a few things. Make you rule over many. Yeah, Mike. You have a dream. You know, you had the dream and then the Holy Spirit confirmed that they were to go there. They go. Um, and then the church develops and then we have the book of you know, God's mm -hmm. hand is just all over the whole situation. His fingerprints are all over it. It wasn't a business decision. You know, you can't start a church with just a bunch of ladies over there. But God can. And the first several members of this church, they're the ladies <coughs> on the outskirts. The men aren't out praying. <laughs> yeah. Can I share something? Yeah. Um, I, I was able to be in a little FCA at my school when I taught. Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Yeah. yeah, okay. But Some anyway, people are not aware of the term. Yeah. Okay. So we would just meet like every Friday, just a few people in my classroom. And, you know, we tried to grow up, but when I left teaching like 10 years ago, I asked another Christian teacher to take it over. Praise God. Like, wow. that is amazing. You know, mm. like, just so cool to see. And I started it because in my school there was one. You 
beginnings and you put it in God's hands and see what God can do with it. Uh, last weekend we were down in Chillicothe and I remember years ago one of the churches that was started by Brother Palmer that I mentioned earlier was down in Chillicothe and uh, it was just small little itty bitty thing and I had the privilege of being asked to go down and, and minister, do a drama at an area gathering. And they were having an impact on every church in the area. There were Methodists there, there were some Lutherans there, Church of God was there and some others because the Holy Spirit was getting people filled with the Holy Ghost in that little tiny itty bitty church and it was impacting the entire community. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, that's good stuff. I, I remember when we were pastoring in Maslin, Ohio. It was a, it was a great time. Uh, some of my dear friends that are still there, uh, one of them still serves on the board, Ben Miller. And he, we were talking the other day, and he was reminding me of what a, what a great time in the Lord we had when we were working together there in Massillon. Massillon, the church, it was, it was small to start off with, but the Lord blessed it with growth. And it reached a place where it was the church to go to if you wanted to have God touch your life in the community. And we had people from the Baptist church and whatever they would come over and try out our church because they heard God was doing something. And it, it was just, it was, it was just one of those God times. So exciting to see what God was doing. And uh, it's just a thrill to walk in some of those formative times. Anything else that <coughs> humble beginnings, starting small. How many were here the weekend I interviewed? I've been talking with the board members and, and uh, we had a, a get together, a meal, as I recall, a meal get together, and then we had questions and answers, which were extremely interesting. <laughs> and uh, the church was running not a lot. And uh, I had somebody, well, when are you going to get us up to being 100 people again? That's not up to me. And I said, well, let's do this. How about if we have a very special Sunday and we, you, get, you start inviting people and I'll do a drama and we'll have a special Sunday and see what happens. And a month later, they went out and invited and we had 115 for the service. Well, the sad thing is, the person that asked the question was satisfied with that. <laughs> well, okay. You know. But we wanted to keep going. Amen? I'm not satisfied. So, humble beginnings. Don't shy away from it. It doesn't have to be big and bombastic at the beginning. 
It's not about numbers, it's about souls. And if we forget that, <clears throat> we've lost the purpose. So he starts, and the first basic members of the church are Lydia and her household, staff or family. They were saved and baptized the first day that they were at the prayer meeting. Now we see that from verse 12 it says they stayed in that city for some days. So we don't know when this Sabbath happened. If it was the very next week or whatever. They were in the city staying there renting rooms or accommodations or something for several days before this event happened down by the riverside. But boy, that's just the kickstart of the church at Philippi. And it's going to get some real interesting members in a few minutes here. She, uh, she invited Paul, Silas, and Luke to her home. And uh, <coughs> it's, it's an exciting thing when she has received the Lord as her Savior, she's baptized in water, and she wants to serve Him. What a great message for the kids this, this evening, serving. Just doing something kind and nice for someone else. And she wanted to do something. She had the means and the availability, and she wanted to be used to the Lord. So now we get down to uh, verse, the next verse, when we look at verse 16, and now we get to, uh, get to some of the stuff going on in the city of Philippi. Would somebody read for us verses 16 through 18, please? Okay, you've got it. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaims to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. When you start trying to serve the Lord, the devil wants to put a stop to it. Now let's look at this, this girl and see exactly what was going on here. It said that she was a slave girl. What does that tell you? Don't give me the obvious answer. Give me a, give me a deeper answer than that, please. She wasn't Roman. She wasn't Roman, no. She was, she was a slave in the sense that she was not on her own. She was owned by someone. She wasn't a servant. She was a slave. She had no choice about what she did. And they bought her probably cheap because it was obvious 
there was something wrong with this girl. She was demon-possessed. Now, there's people today that don't believe in demon possession. And that's, that's understandable. Satan doesn't want you to believe in demon possession. But I have this quirk about me. I believe what the Bible says. This girl was demon possessed. What was she able to do through demonic power? She's a fortune teller. She could tell fortune. She could uh, tell the future or tell what was going on and people would pay dearly for that privilege uh, of getting that information. And uh, it says she had a spirit of divination. That word there is puthon. We get our word python from it. And it was a symbol of a spirit that just kind of wrapped itself around your spirit and just crushed the life out of you. And you say, well, how do you get that? It was a fortune-telling spirit. Well, partial truth can ensnare people. Case in point, today, I was trying to get statistics on this, and I, I've got such a wide variety of statistics, I hesitate to even share them. But some of the estimates are that the occult and fortune telling and spiritualization realm is between two and a hundred billion dollars a year. I think it's on the high side of that. Uh, what are some of the ploys that the enemy has for this spiritism that's going on in our, especially in America today. Well, it's, it is a terrific segue for America because you know, we have, we're on the offshoot of a, being a Christian nation, so we aren't anymore. We still have that religious tone about us, that spiritual tone, and so on top of just being a human and having that need, we, we still kind of have like the leftovers of wanting to be spiritual. And what's nice, of, well, I say what's nice, what, what people find attractive about it is that they can try and fill that void of looking to something beyond themselves and having all those trappings of, of being spiritual without having any of the moral framework. So they don't have to obey or be put in, in subject morally to anything higher than themselves uh, because they can buffet style whatever they want. Yeah. And they're able to kind of fill their craving for something spiritual. And so I think the devil is brilliant in making that segue, you know, in, into spiritualism. What are some of the... Uh this type of demonic or spiritist realm that's out there today. What are some of the things that are going on uh, that people are paying big bucks for? Well, I don't know if that's what you were thinking. Yeah. And while Satan doesn't, he, no one knows the future but God. But they're around. They, 
Imagine my mother's surprise, godly woman that she was, uh, when she found me with the hundreds of billions of dollars industry and uh, wanted to have some of you read Edgar Casey's Spiritism books. And he said they had helped him so much. But you give them a little bit there, they're hooked. And uh, it's easy to get hooked on the, on the false stuff. You've got to feed on the Word of God. You need the Holy Spirit's help to keep you, to guide you into all truth. Now, this little girl was a slave. She was possessed of an evil spirit. And it made money for her owners. And she would go all over the place. But all of a sudden, she has developed an attraction to Paul, Silas, and uh, Luke. And what is, what is she doing every day as they're walking through the city? What, what's she doing every day? This girl, verse 17, followed Paul and us, cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now you say, well, well, well what's wrong with that? What she said was true. Now, why would that annoy Paul? It probably was the way that she said it. In a mocking, downgrading way. You've seen it on the evening news. When the news person says, and they said that Christians had no comment. You know, they, they just leave you a little line and to let you know they're not impressed. Uh, well, they said they prayed, you know. The, uh, perhaps in a mocking way, have any of you ever had experience with a demon-possessed person? I'm not trying to lift anything up here. Uh, we, we believe that we're covered by the blood of Jesus. But we're just talking here tonight. Yeah. I don't know that it was demon-possessed. I won't say that. But it was at a Morris Cerullo concert. Or a Crusade. Crusade. Here in Columbus at Veterans. And, you know, we were, we were just, you know, fairly young in the Lord. And, and uh, there was a person. Um, she comes walking down the aisle. And I look back and I just remember it looked like her to me. What I saw was her eyes were blind, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, but, but these are the servants of the Most High God, you know, listen to them and so forth, and, and she's walking down the aisle, right, you know, as he's beginning to speak and so forth, and he, you know, had ushers in place and so forth and was able to take this person, and they just quietly kind of, you know, took her off, but, you know, people, we can all be deceived or not, cautious, you know. Yeah. Somebody else had a hand up. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't really, I don't know if it was human possession, but there's somebody in my family, and anybody who knows my background knows how I was raised. And um, and this person, this individual was dabbling in tarot cards, uh, the black arts, reading the black art books, mm. and they worked over the plant with me, and they were going home one night. And if you've been to the barn, on the side there was a, a woods. Well, they were driving. This was, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning because they got a call in and went back. Looked over to the woods. 
uh, he got home, called me the next day because I told him from the get-go that, dude, don't mess with this. is bad. Don't do it. It's, he goes, well, you don't go to church. I, don't, I know don't mess with that stuff. Bad, that's bad news. <laughs> don't do it. Well, he actually, every book that he had on the dark arts, tarot cards, everything, he took out to the fire barrel and just burnt everything. I mean, he burned it all. And he goes, man, you come to work next day. And he goes, I got to talk to you. And this is the story I'm telling you now, what he mm -hmm. told me. And I have two individuals in my family that want to go see the Long Island Medium. Mm -hmm. And he tells me, like, and he, and not to talk out of the way, but he just says, you guys are fools. That's what he tells me, because you were fools. Don't mess with that stuff. It's real. And this is coming from somebody don't go to church. And throughout the New Testament, when we look at the church at Ephesus, there was a mighty move of God going on. People were going out from there all over the uh, Middle East, and people were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this move of God hit to the place where people were convicted about their relationship with the witchcraft and the books and all the incantations and they burnt them in the center of town along with their idols. And uh, anytime there is a move of God, there is going to be a move of the enemy <clears throat> trying to put a stop to it. Uh, I don't want to belabor this. I only got a couple minutes left here. And we haven't even got to the first members of the church yet at Philippi. But in my experiences over the years with individuals who have been demon-possessed, their voice takes on a different timbre and sound. And what she was saying was correct. But the vexing and annoyance that Paul said was this was not coming as an affirmation from God. This is mockingly spoken by a demon-possessed girl. Notice Paul does not speak to the girl. He speaks to the demon that's possessing her and says, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And the girl is totally set free from the power of the devil. Now, you should, they should have been happy, right? But her masters were bent out of shape because right. they lost yeah. their meal ticket. Right. And they went to the town council and said, these Jews, uh, they're, they're messing things up for us. And uh, had them beaten and thrown into the Roman colony prison. And we have to pick up next week because that's a real no-no. Paul was a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And there's some real interesting things going to happen to these guys that had him beaten and thrown in jail. Mm -hmm. But God is just starting to build the church at Philippi. He's going to start with some women praying alongside the riverbank. And he's going to bring in a girl that was once possessed of an evil spirit. And he's going to bring on a Roman jailer and his family. They're going to be a part of the
of the, this little church. Wow. Some unusual people as a part of that church in Philippi. And it became a great church. Because it's not about the people in it. It's about the God in the people. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to have to stop there tonight. And we'll pick up next time. And eventually we're going to get to Philippians. And we're going to get there. But we've got to get the church birth first. Prayer request tonight. We want to lift up Andy's surgery tomorrow. And Carl Morrow's surgery tomorrow. We want to pray for... Uh, Jim Moran. Want to give us an update, Tom, on Jimbo? Yeah, uh, no broken bones, <coughs> uh, but he's severely bruised. And uh, it's painful for him to even walk and to sit up straight. Uh, but the doctor just gave him a brace to wear and some ice packs. And, and, uh, Linger for six weeks as badly as he grew, and because of his age. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jim's taking the rest of the week off and plans to go back to work next week. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's pray for Jim. Let's pray for a speedier recovery. We want to surround uh, Mary Lou and her family. Her brother passed away in Florida. We want to lift up. Those that we mentioned, they're having surgery. Uh, Bob Chap Chapman. Chapman. Chapman is having uh, carotid, carotid surgery to open up blockages. And a uh, good friend of the, the Butterworths. And uh, other prayer requests tonight. Yes. My sister-in-law, she had a mild stroke. Um, they ran tests. They think it's in the back of her neck. She's in Grove City, Mount, Mount Carmel right now. Mm -hmm. um, she's doing okay, but her, still her left side. Face is still numb. So. Names? Dom. That's Rhonda's brother's wife. Okay. Other prayer requests? Yes? For my son, he is using so many things. What's his first name? That's Joseph. Joseph. Well, let's go to prayer tonight. Could we have several lead us out in a word of prayer this evening? <clears throat> we want to pray for the upcoming this weekend, the, the women's ministries uh, big barn sale that's really an outreach to the community, providing good value for them, but also opportunities for us to witness and it's always been a very powerful time uh, to touch lives and uh, be lifting up. We had a lady show up today and just started working, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> just saw we were doing stuff. Okay. But uh, so look these matters up in prayer and remember Andy and Carl as they're facing surgery. Somebody lead us out in prayer tonight. <coughs> Uh, 
Father God, well, first of all, we just want to thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives and our community, Father. We lift up Andy and Carl as they go through the surgery. It's scary, even though it's just a, a kidney stone. We, we put our hands in life and the doctors and nurses to take care of us. Yes. Lord, I pray you be every doctor and nurse that touches everybody in our church that is sick, that's going through the, the pain and agony of going through surgery and getting healed if you fall down, Father God. And, Losing the loved one is so hard, even when they're far away. We lose a, lose a piece of our heart. Father, we pray for our community that, that people just quit hurting people, Father God, and they put their guns away and everybody just gets along and they quit fighting. Father, we pray for the yard sale that's going this weekend. I pray for lives to get touched. I pray that people come in and they don't know who you are and there's an opportunity to lead them to know you, Father God, and you know the women are going to make some money, but that's yeah, if we can win some souls at the same time, that's better than making money, Father. We can lead people to, to Christ. We lead people to you and show them the path of what we what they can have, what they can fall in love with you. Lord, we lift up our church this weekend. Be with pastor as he gets ready to bring the message on Sunday, Father God, that someone new walks into the church that's never been here before, that just walks in to hear the message. And they get they fall in love with you and yes. they're able to see who you are, Father God. We lift up our family members that are lost and confused and don't know you, Father God. And we all have loved ones that just need that touch from someone yes. besides us because we've told them how good you are and they've been raised in church. They still walk away. But we need that extra person to step in and motivate yes. them and just plant that seed a little bit deeper. And Lord, Lord use us this week as we work for the restore to touch someone that needs to know who you are. We thank you so much. Give us every opportunity in the world to help somebody, Father God. Just yes, lead them Lord. in the direction. There's so many times that you walk into someone and you don't say hi, and you walk up to the cash register, and the cash register people are upset and mad. Get, lead us to get them to smile and be happy, Father God. Give us someone that we can change their life this week. Yes. In your precious name, amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Lord, tonight. Thank you for letting us all meet together. It's been a wonderful session. I learned a lot of small things, developing the big thing, learning so much about understanding your word. And every every time as it comes to prayer requests, I always forget prayers that I think about. But my grandson, Riley, he's had a cold. So, uh, went to the doctor. He said it's the croup. I haven't heard of that. But anyhow, that all leads me to what I really wanted to say. God, we need your help with. Uh, summer is on us. The kids are going to be out of school. Tomorrow's the last day for Briley. And after that, it's two long months. Kids playing, running in the streets. And God, we really need you to watch our kids yes. for us. Watch our drivers when these kids are out there playing. And then we've got our bigger kids at junior high and high school and time on their hands. Lord, please keep these demon spirits away from our young people with time on their hands and no adult supervisions. Kids, they're, they're our future, they're your future, they're everything. So our children, everybody's children, Lord, please, please keep them all safe. Yes, Lord. Heavenly Father, we do lift up those that are going into surgery, those that are recovering from 
accidents and falls and episodes. We pray, Father, that your hand would be upon your people, that you would restore and strengthen and heal and abate the pain. And we ask, Father, that you do it in such a way that everyone knows it was you that did the work and no one else. We pray, Father, for the upcoming missions trip for our youth and those that are going along, that we can impact young lives for eternity. Father, we don't know who all is going to be at this gathering, but we know that you've called us to be there to share the gospel and love of Jesus Christ with young lives and their families. Father God, open doors. Whether we're ministering at the, at the park, whether we're ministering on the boardwalk, or we're in the retirement centers, that Father God, you'd give us an opportunity to share Jesus. And just like you did with Paul and Lydia, soften hearts and let hearts be open to receive the gospel message while there's still time. We pray for lives to be impacted in this missions trip. Give us the strength and give us the abilities and, and keep us focused on our purpose and our meaning. We ask, Father God, for you to minister to those that are having family issues, uh, strife in the home, uh, all kinds of things. The enemy is on the attack. He's walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour because he knows his time is short. And we pray, Father God, that you help us to persevere in faith. Send us out tonight rejoicing because we've been able to fellowship together and study your word and to know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Even though we've looked tonight at the demonic, we're thankful that when the demonics confronted Jesus, they asked permission to speak. And they asked permission, have you come to torment us before our time? Thank you, Father, there is a time coming when all the forces of hell will bow their knee and say, you are Lord and Christ. We thank you, Father, for the assurance of your word the authority of your scriptures. Send us out rejoicing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.